Welcome to the Four Preaching Channel. Hopefully last week you were able to watch my sermon uh, that I preached at our local church um, around Psalm 21, looking at sort of the issue of uh, wrath and mercy as God sees it, but also, more importantly, God's election and his, his decision to go out and to seek out and to choose those who he will draw to himself and not just wait passively for us to come to him. That was a, it was a hard sermon to preach. And given how our current culture tends to feel about freedom and choice, I'm sure it didn't land as well as I would have liked with everyone, but the doctrines must be preached. God is clear about election. He speaks about it more times than he does many other subjects, far more times than he talks about whether men or women should be pastors, far more times than he talks about whether or not we should tithe. Election is important. It's a subject that comes up again and again. This week, however, we're going to be looking at Matthew 3. We're going to be getting back to Matthew, getting back to this uh, theme of true disciples. Well, I guess last week, election was still on theme with true disciples. But this week, we're going to be looking at our theme of the book of Matthew by looking at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to kind of split it up because the section we have with John the Baptist, his sort of his story arc in Matthew, if you will, uh, it goes beyond these six verses, but it'll go on into next week's verses and the week after that's verses. But we're going to stick this week to just verses 1 through 6, so we can kind of get an idea of kind of who John the Baptist is and how we can use him as a template for our own lives and our own walks. But before we dive in too far, let's, let's read our passage. So we're going to be in Matthew 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and it says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, like I said a moment ago, I really want us to begin to investigate how John the Baptist fits the template of a true disciple, right? And I don't want us to think of disciple in terms of the 12 disciples. I know as we're moving into Jesus's life and ministry, we're going to see that word disciple, and we're going to make very quick connections to these 12 men that Jesus chose to be his closest disciples, but I want us not to lose focus on the fact that a disciple is a disciple of God first and foremost. And while John the Baptist was not one of the twelve disciples, John the Baptist was a disciple of God, much like Abraham was a disciple of God, or Rahab, or Paul. All of these men, all of these people were disciples of God, even though they weren't um, among the twelve who would serve and work with and alongside Jesus. Now, I think there are three important aspects to John the Baptist that we can see just in these first six verses that kind of give us an idea of who John the Baptist is, but also their aspects that we can kind of take and apply to our own life and help us to understand how we can live and act and move so that we act and move like true disciples. Now, I'm going to give them to you up front, and then we'll work through them. The, first, the three are that he proclaimed the right message, that he was understood in his cultural context, and that he focused on God rather than himself. We'll look at each of these individually, and we're going to start by looking at his message. Now, the message he proclaimed was not watered down or confused with any other agenda 
or purpose. If we look again very quickly at verses 1 through 3, we can kind of see what the message is that he's proclaiming. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, look at what he says in verse 2. Look at what his actual message is. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is a very direct and a very specific message. And in fact, it is verbatim the message that Jesus will teach and preach and proclaim just in the very next chapter, one chapter away, in four, for Matthew 4, 17, Jesus, as he goes about preaching, he's going to say exactly those same words. That is the same message that Jesus is preaching. As we look across the Bible, we'll see that ultimately, everything that God does is in an effort to glorify himself. Now, this might sound selfish, but there really is no higher purpose. There is no higher calling than glorifying God. And therefore, it is only right that God's ultimate aim should be for that end, right? Now, another thing to think about, though, as we think about the idea that God is seeking his own glory, is that, in a way, that is to our benefit, right? Because when Christ returns, or we go to be with him, we will enter into the presence of God, and we will bask in and enjoy God's glory. And the more glory he has, the more basking and enjoying that we can do. So, it is not only... It's not only for his sake, but also for ours, that God seeks his own glory. Now, John's message is unclouded because John has aligned his will with God in such a way that he is also ultimately seeking God's glory. And we're going to see that over the next two points as well. But, right, John is proclaiming this gospel out in the middle of nowhere. In Isaiah 43, we see how John's presence is even prophesied. We saw it in our, in our passage, right? The, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah prophesied about this one coming and proclaiming the way of the Lord. And the message is simple, right? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Every act of sin Every small and little thing that we do is an actual act of rebellion that seeks to tarnish the glory of God. Even a white lie is a sin that tarnishes the glory of God. Repentance is the first step in obedience of the heart of those who are called by God. Now, we there are many societal changes or challenges in John's time, right? There are many other things that could have been included in John's preaching, right? There, as we see in modern day preaching, oftentimes there's more about the culture and more about the society than there is about God's word in the sermons. John's message could have been clouded by any number of things, right? The Pharisees were out there manipulating God's law, fitting it to their needs, enslaving the people around them effectively to it. Rome was ruling over God's people against their will and a particularly brutal fashion. Gender roles were being questioned and stretched. Rome dealt with homosexuality. There were people in the church that were looking to push and perpetuate forward uh, women in leadership, um, all of which go against what God's plan is. But none of those issues show up in, in John's preaching, right? None of them made the cut. John preached Christ and him crucified, much like Paul would describe his own ministry to the Corinthians 
in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, where he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Are we ever guilty of taming the message of Christ to repent and turn to God in order to feel less rude, less abrasive? We need to remember in Romans 10, 17, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If we're not willing to dare to be abrasive or rude to proclaim God's word, we are missing out on God-provided opportunities for people to hear the word that changes and saves lives. But John didn't just proclaim the right message. John also understood the cultural context that he was in. Maybe you're thinking, hey, didn't you just say he was abrasive and upfront with the gospel? Yes, I did say that. And what I'm about to say is not going to contradict that. Uh, but being culturally relevant does not need to look like selling out or doing what the culture finds acceptable. And I'll show you what I mean. I'll show you what John means. If we look at verse 4. It says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now the people in John's time would not have found this getup appealing. They would not have found it very fashionable. Um, John didn't wear this because he wanted people to think he was all that. He wasn't sporting expensive jeans or a watch that said, God has really blessed me, right? But he is wearing this outfit on purpose. And we understand this, and the people in his context understand this. And we know they understand this because Matthew doesn't even clarify why he's wearing it. He calls out this important, this little important wardrobe that John's got going on, but he doesn't explain why he's called it out because the people in, John, in Matthew and John's context understood what this wardrobe stood for. For us to understand, though, we need to be a little more in touch with our scripture. So back in 2 Kings, Chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, we see that King Ahaziah has, he's had a misstep and he's fallen off of his upper floor patio through the lattice work, holding up his pergola and has been hurt quite badly. And in his pain and his agony, he sends a group of his messengers to go to inquire of the, the false god Baalzebub. He says, go and inquire of Baalzebub to see if I'll recover. And on their way, a gentleman accosts them and he says, just go tell him he's going to die. In a nutshell. He says a little bit more than that. But effectively he says he's going to die because he's, well, he, he says something more to the effect of, do you go to seek an answer from Beelzebub because there are no gods in Israel? Just go tell the king he's going to die. And so they, the, these men come back to the king and they're like, well, we have a message for you. It's not from the Beelzebub guy you sent us to because someone else found us first. And that's where our little story picks up here in 2 Kings 1, 7 through 8, there's this exchange. Oh, this is the king talking to them. He says this, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> now, Elijah was a prophet of God. Uh, and he was a prophet that was hated by pretty much uniformly everyone. I mean, except some of the the believing members of society, but most of the higher class people pretty much hated Elijah because they had this desire to, you know, worship other gods or do whatever they thought was right. And Elijah was a pretty stickler about doing things God's way. Elijah served God and he sought God's glory first and always. Now, this shouldn't have been a problem for Israel, but again, as God's chosen people, because they were God's chosen people, but again, they, they often found that they wanted to serve other gods, right? 
in Elijah's day, most of the time people didn't serve God at all. But even in other times, Israel was guilty often of trying to serve God plus other gods, which still does not work. God is not a God who is willing to be served alongside any other gods, even if they're minor or not as loved. God is described in the Bible as a jealous God. He only reserves enough room in our hearts for himself. He does not desire to share our hearts with anyone. Now, John has the same mission as Elijah here. John is proclaiming God and God's glory to Israel. Remember what he said, make, make uh, the voice of one crying in the lowest, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew, as he's writing to the Jews, he is making this point because he wants people in who are reading his gospel to make that connection. He's wanting them to recognize that John the Baptist, much like Eliza, Elijah, is calling the children of Israel to repent and return to God. Now, he doesn't explain it. Like I said, he doesn't mention why that's why he's brought up this camel's hair or leather belt situation, because he understands that the cultural context, he understands the people of his time will get it. Just as John understood that people would make would understand that reference. Just as God purposefully has John dress in that because God knows that people will understand that reference. But then that leads us to ask, how do we fit into our own cultural context? Now, we certainly don't want to go running around in camel's hair, leather belts. Not because it's not fashionable, uh, it's not pretty decent, uh, but no one in our day and age would really get it. In 2021, no one is going to look out, see someone who's disheveled wearing camel's hair and a leather belt and think, that guy is going to give me a message from the Lord. No, they're going to think, that guy is on drugs. Many times, though, the things that Christians do to try and stand out look laughably similar to the other groups in our current cultural context. We don't stand out. We don't sound like Christians or disciples or people who are trying to draw people to God. We just look like everyone else, right? We pick at things we don't like, just like everyone else. We come up with secret clubs, just like everyone else. We surround ourselves with like-minded people. We build programs and ministries and events, and then we expect people to come to us to enjoy them. Now, if we are to unabashedly proclaim the word of Christ, as John has been doing in a relevant way, we need to understand how we can do that in a way that makes sense to the culture around us. Not simply make sense in terms of they get it, but make sense in that when they see it, they understand that we are proclaiming the gospel and that we are not just another concert or another uh, what have you, right? And what could that look like, right? Could you TikTok about what scripture means? I don't do TikTok. I don't know how it works. Maybe you could, right? Could you build a ministry that seeks out and helps the groups that are being harmed right now? Abuse victims, underprivileged people, the homeless, right? How else could you operate in ways that tells people that you are seeking the good, their good for God's glory, right? The world is out there telling people, I want, we want your money, we want your affection, we want your benefits. We just don't want you to get in our way of getting those things. God is is not saying that though. God is telling people, I don't want or need your money. I don't need your affection. I don't need your benefits. I just want you. But this brings us to this last aspect of John's ministry. John is focused on God. He's not focused on himself. Now, if we look again at the end of verse four, what is John's diet? It's locusts and wild honey. And you heard that right. Locusts, like the bugs. Um, 
The Greek word that's used here for locust in the original text could also alternately be translated grasshoppers. This is not to be confused with like a locust tree, which I know has bean pods and there's some skepticism out there. Maybe he was eating these bean pods. The Greek doesn't leave us with that option. John was eating bugs and plants. And where is John living? Where is he hanging out? We see it in verse one, right? Oh yeah, the wilderness. Not exactly a comfortable, homey place. Now, I'm not saying that John didn't take care of himself, right? John is in a lifestyle that would have likely been shared by many other people who were destitute, who were poor, right? John didn't waste time building wealth because his treasure was in heaven. John's message wasn't clouded by other agendas. He wasn't wearing any bling. John's context would recognize his lack of material goods. And now we see that he wasn't focused on comfort, but rather he's focused on God. John was effectively homeless. Now, not that we are called to live that way necessarily, but it is a way that God does comes does call some people to live. See, John. When we find ourselves desiring nice things instead of desiring God, it's an opportunity for us to begin to look for idols in our hearts. Now, we all have idols, I promise you. If you can't find an idol in your life, it's because you aren't admitting that there's an issue somewhere, that there is an issue. Everyone has idols, all of us. Now, a litmus test that I've been working on is to take whatever you think could potentially be an idol and kind of put it into this scenario, right? Put it into this idea that God has taken it away. I'll give you an example. We'll use clean water because it's one that I'm pretty comfortable. Most of you probably don't have as an idol, but just work with me here, right? Then put it into this, into this thing, right? As a follower of God, I'm not allowed to have blank. I'm not allowed to have clean water. Now, and then as soon as you've said that in your heart, in your mind, out loud, wherever, just listen for the turmoil that comes up in your heart. There may not be a lot for clean water, because if you're watching this, you're probably in a first world country, and you probably have just, you know, you turn on a faucet somewhere and you've got clean water for days. It doesn't bother you at all, right? But the more upset that statement makes us about whatever it is that you plug into that thing, you can tell it has gained far higher and higher and higher and higher a place in your heart. And at some point, it will begin to take over God. As, at some point, you're so angry about this idol that you actually care more about this idol than about God. What, what are some other things we could plug in there? As a follower of God, I'm not allowed to have, I'm not allowed to drink alcohol. As a follower of God, I'm not allowed to be married. As a follower of God, I'm not allowed to have my children on the role of the church I attend. As a follower of God, I'm not allowed to ever own a home. Would do any one of those things spike anger or frustration in your heart, even knowing that God doesn't actually tell us we can't have those things? Good things are the easiest and most frequent things that are turned into idols. That will always be the case. Just because something is good does not make it safe from becoming an idol. But anyway, back to John, right? John had his own idols. We don't know what they are, but we do see later as he's in prison, he has some doubts and some concerns. We could maybe make some inference there, but we won't, right? John has his own idols, but even so, John has provided us with an example of a lifestyle that seeks to eliminate idols. John, or John right, he didn't need comfort or fame. He needed God, and he got God in the greatest quantity he possibly could. Do we live this way? It, it is easy for someone to listen to the way that you talk and understand where your focus is. When we say things like, I spent so much time serving God, or I really got a lot of this passage, you should read it too, you know, to be like me. 
or I am so blessed, right? People recognize that these statements are about me. They're about us when we make statements like that. They're not glorifying God. They're just talking about how great we are, and God's just the genie that made it happen. Now, we need to keep our focus and the focus, our, the focus of our thoughts and speech on God. We need to be using statements that are God-centered, more like, God will get the glory even in this. God has provided his word to us. It should be more important to us than other priorities. Who God loves, I will love. Now, as we wrap up, let's turn to those last two verses that we've conveniently not looked at. They say this, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John 6.44 reminds us that only those who God draws can turn and come to him. When we are faithful to proclaim the gospel as God commanded us, God is faithful to change hearts. Romans 10.17 makes that clear. But here we see, as, Paul, as John is teaching and is preaching, even this simple and direct message, many people are coming to repentance. Now, it may not be when we proclaim the gospel, right? It may not be right away. We might proclaim the gospel a hundred times and never see that person that we've preached to come to repentance, but still we must proclaim. And I say this because 2 Peter 3 9 reminds us that God is not slow as some count slowness, but that he is patient and sure to make sure, because in the context of this verse, he's talking to the elect, he's patient and sure to make sure that none of his elect will perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where do you land on this? Are you needing to change how your Christian witness looks? Or are you still being drawn, needing to repent and turn from your sin and come to Christ? Don't wait. Look to John as an example. We must be proclaiming the right message. We must be doing it in a culturally con and contextually correct way. And we must be seeking God's glory and seeking God first above and before ourselves. Now, as always, if you are not a member of a local church, that is the place that you should be to be able to work alongside of fellow Christians who you can use as an example and who can demonstrate through their lives what it looks like to be a true disciple. In the description, there will be a link to the um, Gospel Coalition's church directory, as always, and you can use that to find a church closer to you that will give you an opportunity of and be a place of like faith, like faith and belief, and you can go and you can engage and you can begin to be discipled. If you are in the category of people who are still being drawn, you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, is God, is God drawing me to himself? If you're asking that question, the answer is yes. Because only those who are drawn by God can even look and turn to him. If this is you, come to Christ today. Now, I'm not the person that you're going to have a conversation with that about. You need to go to a person that you can talk to face to face. Or, you know, somewhere that you can talk to someone directly. Not just watching a guy on YouTube. So, go to one of these churches in this church directory and find someone who can tell you what it means to be a true disciple, what it means to be a Christian. That's all for now. So until next time, this is for God's glory for preaching.